This is episode number 21 of the Bearded Marketers podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We're an internet marketing podcast. New episodes every Monday at thebeardedmarketers.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blueberry is another one that we're on. You can also find us on all the social networks, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn, some, I don't know, all the other social. ones. Before we get started on the topics we're going to talk about for the night, we'd like to talk about what we're drinking. Corey, what are you doing tonight? I'm doing a margarita. Still summertime, so it's summertime drinks. And I think we're out of spicy tequila this time, so you're just going with normal one. I wasn't going to say anything, but I was greatly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I am doing a Moscow Mule tonight. It's sort of my go-to every night when I don't want to make something complicated. What's in a Moscow Mule? Moscow Mule, I'll tweet out the recipe. Okay. Again, I always say this, but I don't think we ever do. Recipe <laughs> is just pour some vodka in there. Mm-hmm. You, you'll notice the difference between when I give a recipe and you. You're very exact. I'm just pour some vodka in there, pour some Gosling's ginger beer in there, top it off with so a little bit of lime, and you're good to go. If you haven't had a Moscow Mule, it's a great drink. So let's go ahead and get started. So tonight we're going to talk about effective media channels to get your content out there and potentially attract customers. Yahoo Bri brand. Do they know what they're doing? The case for responsive design, we're going to walk through some of the data that's out there for it, pros and cons, the costs, everything about that so you can really see if it's for you to tackle. And then lastly, wrapping up, creating buzz and how we might do that in a out-of-the-box style. So go ahead and kick us off, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. So disclosure ahead of time, this study I'm going to be talking about right now is from our friends over at marketingsherpa.com. I work with some of these guys on a daily basis in the same building, so I can't rip on them too much. Or maybe I can. I don't know. We'll see where this goes. One more Moscow mule. We'll be good to go. <laughs> All right. So sort of the point of this, and I'll read the exact title as they use it so as there's no sort of confusion about exactly what we're talking about. But this is, I guess the point of this whole segment is to Find out what, I mean, at this point in time, technology is so advanced, there's so many channels of putting content out there. There's video, there's podcasts like this one, which is amazing. You should tell all your friends and leave us a review on (laughs) iTunes. There are blogs, which, you know, were huge years ago. There's blogs, there's Twitter, there's all sorts of other social media. Even kind of branching off of blogs, there's things like Tumblr. Yeah, many blogs. Yeah, there's mobile apps, there are case studies, there's reviews, there's ebooks, there's tons of different things that allow companies to get their content out there and their message out there. Mm -hmm. And so as a marketing manager, how do you sort of look at the 50 or so different ways you could put stuff out there and come up with maybe the most effective ones, maybe for your individual situation or, you know, just time's limited. Exactly. I can't do everything. Exactly. And sort of technology limitations too, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't have the budget in a green room to produce high quality videos or podcasts like you are hearing today with this high quality. Serenading your ears exactly. at this very moment. So let's get right down to it. The title of this uh, exact study is The Level of Effectiveness for Each of the Content Products Your Organization is Using. So this was a question posed to readers of the Marketing Sherpa, I don't know, what whatever it is, Their newsletter audience. or something. Yes. So in order of effectiveness, number one, webinars and webcasts at 49% saying it is very effective. White papers... 30% saying white papers are very effective. Further down, online video, only 32% saying that's mm-hmm. very effective, which I think is, I don't know if that's maybe a indication of not many people using it. I think it's an indication of not many people using it well. Mm. So we are actually generating some video content, which we talked about last episode, and there's a pretty steep learning curve to putting out 
let's say professional level type of videos. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the production, not only, you know, like you mentioned, green screens and things like that, but there's a lot of time to be sunk into effects and how do you make things smooth and look good. And I think a lot of people don't spend that time to do that, which I see on a daily basis and think that's a hideous video. And I think some people don't think that it's very effective, A, because they don't do it well, or they learn how hard it is and they just write it off. And then then it becomes non-effective because you couldn't deploy it very easily. So, Well, I think the other thing too here is with some of these marketing channels, it's very difficult to measure exact things, right? Mm -hmm. So it might just be getting your brand out there is maybe the objective for videos and social media and things like that. So when you're sort of ranking things as in terms of effectiveness, video is probably not going to be very high because you can't measure the clicks off of a video. Right. So here's another interesting one. Blogs now all the way down the list at 27%, which is, I feel like the reason why that's weird to me is because everyone has a blog. <laughs> every company has a blog, right? Even every like person has a blog. So well, I think seems... it's, um, you know, maybe social media kind of falls into the similar category in that all these people have them, but what is the usage of it? And is it really that valuable or does it become a just a marketplace for content diarrhea. And, you know, it's not that people don't find it that valuable. They do it because they feel like they need to as a company, but there's really no well thought out plan on how we make this effective, how we create this to be a marketing engine to either increase our perceived expert level or to gain leads or to gain customers and to really make it a talking piece. Instead, it becomes what's happening around the company and just generic stuff that we, you know, hire college interns to do our blog because they're technology kids. But there's really not a good strategy for it. And I think that's what gets related with the effectiveness. Right. I think a lot of blogs just get started because, you know, like I said, we everyone thinks they need to have one. Sure. And maybe they get excited with it and have good content for the first X months. And then, like everyone, like me, I've started a blog three or four times. And then it's like fun for a month. And then you go, I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing it. So, mm-hmm. all right. So second from the bottom of the list, podcasts. What you're listening to right Dear. now. No one thinks it's effective. <laughs> We do. We do, though. I mean, right. that's why we're doing it every week. I think that uh, maybe the expectations are a bit different for a podcast than what I would think of for like a white paper or something of that nature. Very much like online video, how you phrase it, the production that goes into it, you know, really can affect the effect, affect the affect effectiveness. The effectiveness. <laughs> TB- Hashtag. TBM <laughs> podcast. Hashtag TBM podcast. Affect no. the effectiveness. But uh, like I said, I think it can be effective, but uh, there's a lot that goes into it and planning and production and things like that, which might be intimidating to people or they just don't know how to attack. I think a big part of that too may be actually having good content mm-hmm. uh, to put out there. I mean, a 30 minute long podcast like we do every week, that takes some serious effort take some in-depth knowledge. There's a lot that goes into that. So I think a lot of companies maybe don't even have like the, maybe the staff to do that or like you said, the resources to sort of undertake something like that. At the bottom of the list, social media, 18%, very effective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I won't believe that, but I think it went back to the point I was making. You know, a lot of people just don't have a very good strategy for that. Yeah. Also, the people that are consuming that are different. Right. If I'm, if I'm sitting down doing a webinar or doing a white paper, I might be a little bit more invested than someone that's just engaging you on social media. So the audience is different. One final note sort of on these stats we've been going over is marketing Sherpas, I, th- I feel like their audience is sort of heavily weighted towards B2B mm-hmm. marketers instead of B2C. So just sort of breaking down some of those numbers, B2B, obviously, I mean, this seems obvious to me, webinars, webcasts are at the top. 
white papers, ebooks, these are all the things that people are ranking as highly effective for them. B2C, though, those things drop off. Web pages are the most effective. Okay. And according to their study, webinars, ebooks, and white papers did not even get a response. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. So moving on. All right, so let's talk about Yahoo Rebrand. So today, actually, they unwrapped this 30 Days of Yahoo Transformation campaign where they're really... First of all, Yahoo, you know your marketing strategy is a little whack when I don't even understand what you're talking about in your (laughs) press release. So from what I could kind of garner from their landing page, they're revealing a new logo one day, every day, for 30 days. At the end of this whole effort, they're going to reveal the final logo. Now, there's it, there seems to be, from what I can tell, a method to the madness, you know, where Google sometimes has logos dedicated to Vincent van Gogh. There doesn't seem to be any sort of reason for why they're releasing all these logos. Maybe it will become apparent later on. I, I think what I had read um, on their page was that they, they sort of have some sort of themes like every day there's like a theme of like why yahoo's cool or like something they're good at and like that logo for the day will represent that in some way uh-huh. but looking at the one that's on there now is whack i have no it's idea terrible. what that means as okay, first of all it. the it's logo terrible. just looks bad i mean your characters are all different sizes there's no kerning on your characters it's just hard to read it's just bad and what was interesting, too, about this whole you know what sparked a little bit of conversation between me and rob is when you read this press release from Yahoo, you kind of want to know what what is their strategy moving forward? Because search was not really talked about at all in this landing page. It was more about sharing pictures and kind of being this entertainment stop. But there's a lot of competition from that space for people that specifically do what, you know, they're kind of mentioning. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see over these next 30 days. I can't wait for all the logos to look at what what direction Yahoo is really trying to take in the uh, industry. I mean, I I don't really think of them at all when thinking about search. Doing anything with technology, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, I mean, they, they used to be such a, something that you couldn't ignore from, you know, whether that was PPC or even SEO. I mean, it was a good enough amount of traffic that it merited a lot of attention. And they still get a decent amount of traffic, but being as kind of cannibalized some of that since their merger and moved people over to that platform. So they used to be maybe some of the more bleeding edge in some of the search items and now they've kind of fallen to the wayside and you know they're trying to regroup and see what they're gonna roll out in the future so right well i think they've they've missed the boat in terms of everything is so social now really all they have is heavy content and that's what they're sort of known for and that's why they're still a top-ranked site they just have a bunch of content but you look at all the other sites google's facebook's everyone else everything's so socially integrated i feel like bing is maybe going that way too they don't have much of that social interaction we I think we talked about, what was this, a couple weeks ago now, we were talking about universal logins. No one uses Yahoo login for anything. It, I didn't even know that existed, but it does. And no one uses like a Bing login. I don't even know if that exists. These are things that I, I think point to how much users think about these brands when they're using other sites and interacting. Google's always in your mind. Mm-hmm. Facebook's always in your mind. Twitter, Yahoo, what? Bing, you know, I don't even think about that. It's off. It's completely off the map. And their recent acquisition of Tumblr, obviously, they're trying to get into the social game. They kind of have a lot of ground to make up in multiple areas, not just in search, but even social and things like that. So keep an eye out on Yahoo. They got their 30-day campaign. Check it out. 
you know, maybe tweet a tweet a picture out to us and we'll uh, make some funny jabs about it or <laughs> something of those nature. But Yahoo, they still have a lot of traffic and a lot of people working over there. So hopefully they can pull themselves up because I do think competition is important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want them to succeed and do better. So Yahoo, get your stuff together and write better press releases. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so moving right along, you wanted to talk a little bit about responsive design. You know, I was talking about this in a meeting the other day, kind of shocked at how many people didn't know what that was. So why don't you give us a quick synopsis of what responsive design is? Yes, let's talk about the basics. So I guess let's back it up a little bit. Originally, when mobile phone usage started picking up, everyone had their main site. And then if you try to go there with a phone, you got redirected over to a mobile version. Hopefully. So that's, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> if, it, if it worked correctly, that's what right. you ended up. And then you got frustrated on the mobile site. You mm-hmm. want to get back to the main one. Anyway, so that's sort of how sites, major companies operated for a long time. And that's still how many of them do. Responsive web design has sort of taken off in the last year or two. It's huge right now. I'm starting to work with it on some of our sites now. And basically what it new allows you. marketer's site. Yeah, the new bearded marketers. Fully responsive. <laughs> across all platforms. So basically what it allows you to do is automatically sort of change your site based on the resolution or the device that a user is using. So even in your desktop, if you were to take your browser and sort of drag it and make it smaller, the site would actually completely change. Features may disappear. Navigation bars may change how they work. um, Product pages may be laid out completely differently. So it's like an on-the-fly sort of, and that's why it's called responsive. It's responsive completely to the device, the browser, and the size that the user is viewing your site on. So it's the latest sort of thing. Some of the pros, obviously, are that um, you don't have to try to redirect people over another site. You have one set of URLs. You don't have this whole sort of separate site that now Google might get confused on, you know, which you got two sites here, what's Mm -hmm. going on. You You sort of simplify. one code base as well. Right. So you simplify with one code base too, exactly. Um, Some of the cons, just listing off the top, responsive can still be heavy on the dev team. It can be really complex. It's still sort of a new thing that a lot of people are getting used to. Some platforms and code bases are coming out to make some of that stuff easier, but it still can be really time-consuming. Especially, I mean, from the development standpoint, you know, in making the websites, I would also say that from a QA standpoint, but because the site does manipulate itself and can in a very dramatic fashion you do need to make sure you spend your full time and qa these sites because you know the experience can change pretty rapidly and you just want to make sure that's happening as it specked out yeah exactly that is a good point i mean so so some of the other things are page load times can be drastically increased so usually when you had the separate website so here was our normal site we had a completely separate mobile site it was really pared down Features disappeared, images got smaller, things like that disappeared. Well, on responsive designs, a lot of that stuff is still there. It's just sort of changed the way that it looks. A lot of those code things that take a lot of time for page loads um, are still there. So there is that thing to think about as well, which on mobile phones can be a serious issue. So I just want to do, okay, so go through the basics of responsive, but at the same time, I want to give you some case studies of some large organizations that have gone through the process and the expense of creating responsive web designs and some of the results they were able to get. So here's an example. State Farm received a 56% increase in conversion rate across all devices with a responsive and adaptive mobile design. So State Farm, that's huge for Mm -hmm. them, obviously. Especially in such a competitive industry, 56%, that's huge in the car insurance or whatever insurance industry that they're working in because they work in multiple... So here's another one for, I guess this directly for their PPC campaigns. Baines and Ernst 
uses responsive web design, mobile conversions went up 51%. So these are some huge lifts. And obviously, as mobile is getting more and more popular, those kinds of lifts are massive. I mean, they change businesses. Yeah, and I think the, a big case for responsive design as well has been the explosion of tablets. You know, it's it's one thing to optimize a mobile experience for small phones, but these tablet devices kind of lay in this middle ground between mm-hmm. full websites and mobile. I mean, you open up a mobile website on a tablet and it's not very fun. I mean, it can look really small or really stretched and just not be a very good experience. And I think if tablets hadn't entered into the world, responsive probably wouldn't have taken off as much as it has, or it might be a slower progression. But I think that, you know, now in this multi-device world that we live in, we need to have these websites that can adapt to these situations. And we don't want to end up juggling, you know, three to four different code bases. We don't want to have a tablet site and a mobile site and a full right. website. We want to have something that we not pull our hair out and also, you know, not have to manage bugs and things like that on all these different platforms. So uh, I just want to mention one more sort of case study and just to sort of prove that responsive is not necessarily limited to websites. You can also do that with emails, ah. which is, you know, one field where you can't obviously send, you know, a different version to someone who's checking phone or their email on their phone or their mm-hmm. tablet or their desktop. So building a responsive email design automatically optimizes for all of those things. So the example here is career builders, click-through rates increased by more than 20% by using a responsive web design, and that's from exacttarget.com, their blog. So not as huge as obviously these 50% increases (laughs) in conversion rates for the website. Some companies always provide 500% increases that we know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, I mean, again, responsive is something that you can't ignore. I've actually been running some tests recently in regards to the e-commerce side of things and product images and how many items that we're displaying per row and some other interesting tests that are really proving to provide a a strong case for the responsive design given when I'm looking at how these tests perform on different resolutions and what we're manipulating on the page. So again, responsive design might be something that you really need to look into, but keep in mind that there are some cons and pros to this situation as in anything in life. But the the fruits there are to be had, you know, with the case studies like State Farm and all the other companies that it's, we covered. Right, and I think at this point, especially with all the devices that keep coming out with all the millions of different sizes there are now, from EDVD phone to uh, massive iPad or desktop, it's it's something that's going to need to be done. Sure. Um, and it's, so it's just a matter of doing it now or in a couple of years. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up the episode. We're going to talk about creating buzz about your company and some maybe unique ways that we've seen recently people have tackled that. So in particular, what I wanted to talk about is there was recently IKEA released an app where they provided augmented reality app to basically display their catalog in your living room. So for those that aren't familiar with what augmented reality is, I would say the first real big push into that was a company called Layers or Layer, uh, and they had an app on Android and iOS as well. And for big cities, I think it first started off in Europe, but then it spread here. You could walk down the street, hold your phone out with your camera, and it would create a visual experience on your phone 
with the store names, like signs would come out. So it was really this interactive, almost virtual world that would get created based on where your phone was looking and what stores had created some space within Layer. It was it was kind of, think of Yelp billboards that would be put into a virtual reality on your phone as you were looking down the street. It might be kind of hard to convey on the, on the podcast, so you might tweet out a link just for you to check out. But anyways, how this IKEA app would work is with your tablet or phone, you could look at your living room through the camera. So like you were recording a video and you could actually place on the screen the different furniture or items in the IKEA catalog and you would see it live in your living room. It's crazy. You know, we're <laughs> 2013, we're here. Right <laughs> um, and it w- it actually rendered out and looked really well. So, you know, it was this really neat app where you could have a lot of fun in your living room by creating or really any room in your house by creating these new experiences and you know seeing how that unique looking ikea sofa would look in here and while the app itself is neat and all i just thought that that was a great idea from ikea it's not unique there's some other companies that have done it as well which we'll cover but you know i think as marketers sometimes we get into these ruts where we just kind of rehash the same stuff over and over again it's we always go back to email we always go back to ppc and what are our competitors doing let's try to run some tests and copy what they're doing or you know we we always have to kind of stick to our pillars and and i think that sometimes an out of the box solution can help us in a number of ways i mean with that ikea app not only does that just further the brand strength for people that are ikea customers or people that love the brand but that's like a conversation piece i mean even that's something i would actually go and talk to someone about and actually show them you know especially if that day where I was playing around with that app, I had someone over, you better believe that I'm actually going to show them that if I remember it, because that's just so cool. And I think that, you know, as marketers, thinking of cool, unique ways to kind of get in front of people, that's really where you make the difference and getting people to really talk about your brand, maybe in more unique ways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of that stuff is there's a massive um, investment in time and money to do some of these things with not necessarily a payoff of, of any kind. I mean, companies do these kinds of things all the time and no one pays attention to it. It's maybe in the news for the week, mm-hmm. but, you know, it disappears. I think this Ikea thing, though, is such an... I mean, it's 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 definitely an obvious thing when you think about it. I mean, from the Yelp sort of example you gave before, right. if that sort of stuff is possible, it seems like the obvious progression of these things. And I know I've been on websites before where you can... Uh, like look at paintings and things like that and look mm-hmm. at what they're like on like your wall, kind of things like that. But it's never progressed to this. I'm holding my phone up and looking mm-hmm. like through my phone at my wall with like furniture and stuff on it. Like that's crazy. But I think I agree with you on everything. Like that's definitely something that's something that you could sitting at home watching TV. You're just messing around with it, like building your dream house mm-hmm. and your wish list on Ikea. That's right. huge for them. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, you know, just some more unique ways to deploy stuff like that. I mean, Walking Dead had a wildly popular app for a long time where you could zombify your face and do these, you know, really unique things. it's still pretty popular right now. Yeah, Yeah. it still is popular. So, I mean, there's a lot of applications for different businesses. It doesn't always have to be fun. I mean, maybe your app is 
talking about saving something. Maybe it's like energy efficient or, you know, there's a lot of different applications out there. And we've been talking a lot about apps, but I think that apps do provide a good interactive platform. And the other benefit that they do provide as well is sequestering the visitor to paying attention to just this one thing. You know, when when we are doing things on the website or trying to market to people in a lot of different other channels, there's a lot of things competing for attention um, and a lot of opportunity for distraction. And I think that sometimes when we put people into ecosystems like apps, we might have a little bit more fuller attention. Plus, we have more freedom to do things as well. So think about how might be some unique ways to deploy some marketing strategies. Not only gets the sale, which you know we, we have to pay attention to because it pays for that chair that we sit in, but how do we get people talking about us? Another good campaign that I saw recently that was really popular with the female crowd in particular was a Dove campaign where they released this anonymously, this Photoshop file that was a retoucher. And it would, I think, shrink some of the dimensions of a person. It used Photoshop actions and would do some skin bronzing and stuff like that. Well, actually, when you downloaded the file and you hit the the Photoshop action, it would restore all the edits that you'd made to the Photoshop to the original file, and then it would watermark the image with, you know, hashtag dove, beauty is what? normal or something That's like that. That's amazing. And then they made a, a pretty good commercial about that. And while that might not necessarily directly lead to conversions, you better believe that got people talking about it. So how can you deploy something similar to get people talking about you because, you know, that's one of our big goals as marketers. So this has been episode number 21 of the Bearded Marketers. We covered some interesting topics tonight. We want to get a little bit more philosophical this episode, which I think we did. So (laughs) give us a call, 904-270-9603. Give us some funny stories. What, What are you pulling your hair out about this week and you need some help? We probably have some experience in whatever you're getting frustrated in between Rob and I or some of the friends that we have in the industry that work on a day-to-day basis. So let us know what you've been struggling with. We'll feature it on the upcoming episode. Also, keep an eye out for some new content and a new responsive design, beardedmarketers.com, on its way. But until next time, this has been Rob and Corey, and this is the Beard Marketers, and we'll see you next week.